Hi, I'm John Stevens. This is Matt Russell. And this is Pod Have Mercy. This is Pod Have Mercy. Well, I'm John Stevens, and today Matt Russell is down at the City Hall in Houston, along with a lot of other advocates and a lot of families that are working toward trying to secure some money that's come from the federal government to Houston, about 400 plus million dollars, and trying to advocate for rent assistance, not only for these 70,000 plus individual people that may lose their housing when this moratorium ends. So it's not just to benefit the families, but also, you know, it's a benefit of the people who own the the apartments. Um, So he's doing the good work. And today we have the Reverend Melissa Mayer. What's up? How are you? I'm good. Melissa Yeah, is, Matt's down there um, with the Justice League fighting the good fight. So is, is he Batman I'm happy or to Superman? be here shaking a few hands, kissing which, a few which babies. Of, which of the Justice League is Matt? Which one? Which? I, you know, that's about as far as my references okay. go. Because I'm thinking, I'm thinking the old Aquaman with the wavy blonde hair and the orange shirt. Not go. the new Jason Momoa Aquaman. The old, show Melissa the old Aquaman, because I'm thinking. I know who old. Jason Momoa is. Yeah, yeah, of course you do. The old Ooh. Aquaman. See, that's the old Aquaman. Yeah. In the orange and the green. Yeah, yeah. Well, you got to get the one. He's got a little bit longer hair. <laughs> you know, I That'll pulled out. There are eight years in between my brother and I. He's eight years younger, and his. Star Wars characters, Han Solo, Luke Skywalker, and Chewbacca, and mine. So mine were in the 70s, his were a little bit later. There's some serious roids going on in between the 1970s Luke Skywalker and the later version. Like, totally pumped up. Oh, yeah. It's crazy. Well, it's just what you do. It's it's because we eat healthier. Not because we take steroids. (laughs) Well, Melissa is, uh, you know, one of the great things about Chapelwood is we are a church of multiple worship communities. And one of our worship communities, actually one that's been around the longest is Mercy Street. 22 years now, right? Yeah, started in 1997. And just give folks that may not know just the real quick history up to, to date, how that kind of got started and, and where we are, what, what Mercy Street's really all about. You bet. Well, um, Back in the day of Jim Jackson, he brought Matt Russell on staff. Matt really had a heart to reach out to folks who were um, outside of the church, who had left church. And so through a series of conversations, just to hear their stories, hear how they're finding a connection with God, um, this kind of ragtag, uh, Brennan Manning was a, a voice, a prophet in that group, a ragamuffin group of folks that began to gather, pray together, they had dinner, and out of that came a prayer community. Hmm. And um, at the time, and even to this day, almost 23 years later, about 60% of the folks are in recovery, 12-step recovery, although 100% of us, 100% of us <laughs> at Mercy Street would say we're in recovery from life, something yeah. that's really knocked the wind out of us. So... Um, yeah, Mercy Street's part of the Chapelwood family, and it's been a beautiful relationship that time. We meet on Saturday nights at 5.30, and in many ways, we are like a typical church. We've got children's ministry, youth ministry, outreach, Bible studies, and um, the bulk of our work, though, takes place usually in treatment centers during the week, the jails, the prisons, and it's just a really beautiful expression of the Chapelwood family. One of the great I call them charisms. Each one of our worship community, I call it has a charism. There's, there's some, some action or something, you know, with upper room, it was prayer stations, but with mercy street, it's the celebrations. Yeah. There's a moment where you invite anybody in the room to come up and celebrate a, a, a belly button birthday or a recovery birthday or an anniversary or really whatever. I mean, and that's just to me, one of the most amazing celebrations when people come up and say, I'm John. And they go, Hey John, celebrating 10 years of, you know, sobriety and everybody cheers. And it's just like a moment where you talk about community. Absolutely. That's where it's like, boom, connected. In that yeah. Moment. I often call it our third 
sacrament. So we practice communion the first Saturday of the month, baptism, remember your baptism each month. But every single week, there's that moment in the time of celebrations where someone says, I've got 30 days clean. Uh, I got a new job. I was recently reconciled with my dad, who I was estranged from, whatever Mm -hmm. it may be. And it's a really um, unifying and beautiful thing that we can celebrate with a person. But without a doubt, there's someone in the room who's struggling in that exact way. And so they kind of get this, this breath of hope, like, oh, if it happened for them, maybe me too. Yeah, you know, I'm always amazed by the ones that are like 20 years or 30 years. But the other ones that also really, like, really move me are like when you have folks who are at Santa Maria Hostel and they're there and it's like, I'm clean for 30 days. Yeah. And that to me is like pretty amazing. It is. It is. So one of the things, you know, Matt and I, this, we're in this pandemic and coronavirus and COVID and you know, we've been talking with medical professionals. We've been talking a lot about spiritual care. I think it'd be great to hear, you know, one of the things we think about Chapelwood, there's our, our Green Bay, our main campus, and, and we are a large church. We are in a very uh, wealthy area of Houston and West Houston, and not everyone is wealthy in our church, but I would say we're a very privileged congregation. Our main sanctuary congregation is pretty privileged. And so when we talk about the struggles and the trials I mean, I even think in my own life and maybe for you too, it's like, what makes quarantine hard? What makes stay at home hard? It's like my compulsion to be accomplishing something, my compulsion. And now I have to stop and rest and I can work from home and still get a paycheck right? and I can zoom and I have Wi-Fi, and, you know, we have children that can have high speed internet and can do whatever they do. And it's like, the biggest drama is whether or not you're going to get a grade. You know, my daughter's going to get a grade at OU this semester or a pass fail, hmm. you know, that's like, that like, that really disrupts us. Yeah. You're dealing with, and we have talked about community because we're serving almost 40,000 individuals now with food scarcity, you know, through our food pantry and at Fairhaven, but you're dealing with a community that's a part of the Chapwood family and that Mercy Streeters know all about, but sometimes maybe some people in other parts of our, of our Chapelwood family are not as in a tune of the things that, how is COVID, how is quarantine, how is the, econo- the economy affecting people that are at Fine Mercy Street as their, their church, their home. These are our brothers and sisters. I think it'd be good for all of us to know the things that our brothers and sisters are dealing with that may not have the same level of privilege that I do and some other people do. Yeah. I think, you know, personally during this time, I've rediscovered the gifts that are surrounding me and my support system and how to rely on that. I've also discovered some of the gaps within that. And so I, I think each of us are kind of going through that assessment, that inventory, if you will, And in our church community of Mercy Street, I mean, we have folks that are CEOs and those that have a PO, a parole officer. (laughs) And so what it means to check in with your parole officer and make sure that you're making contact um, and accountable to a board of directors who want to know your worst case scenario for making sure the company stays afloat. I mean, the stress is different and to the individual, it's, it can be overwhelming. So one of the I think really beautiful things I've seen in the Mercy Street family during this time is in many regards, because we have a lot of folks that are uh, in 12-step programs or regularly are in kind of a, a group therapy session or counseling, like they've, they've been doing some of that self-exploration and so they have tools to draw upon. And, uh, you know, the very first week that we went into kind of a stay at home here in Houston was what, like second week of March, March 14th, 24th, 15th. or I don't know. I don't even know what day it is, I, but yeah, I think, I, it, I think, I think March so, 24th this year, that third week of March, second or third week. Of March. So, you know, early on, um, <clears throat> we as a community and a staff, we were trying to figure out, okay, what will remain and what needs to just be shut down. Mm-hmm. 
and of course all of our on-campus activities. Um, but we were really scrambling to find counselors and therapists who were remaining open or 12-step groups that were meeting. And some of that remained early on, but it quickly shifted to online. So it's helping folks um, either figure out how to access all of this, training them on technology or helping them get access to uh, computers. We've had so many folks that just post on Facebook and someone reached out. So those 12-step those communities and the, and the folks in, in Mercy Street who are really working their recovery program, they've been phenomenal leaders for us during this time. You, you made some comment, I can't, I can't even remember what it was, but something, maybe maybe it was you, maybe maybe I dreamed it. If uh, it was brilliant, it was you. It was me. <laughs> but it's like, people say, well, how can people engage in working the program, 12-step recovery program, when you're not able to get together? Yeah. But it's like, they figure out a way, don't they? Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, there is... Um, I'm part of a 12-step group, and ours moved to Zoom pretty quickly. And at first, I didn't like it, but that's the whole process of working the steps, realizing the things you have no control and power over, mm. and learning to surrender and accept them. And so, um, it's kind of you know rolling with it. But um, I would say, though the 12-step groups are meeting and folks in recovery have amazing tools that they are not only using for themselves but for others. Um, Tony Springer, who was on our staff long before uh, COVID-19, had been putting together this group of what we call street peers. And that was to reach out to folks who were finishing up treatment and kind of re-entering back into uh, the neighborhood, their family systems. And man, that group is just, they're staying in touch through text and Facebook has been an amazing uh, That's a hopeful message. There was, I don't know if... um, Donna copied you. Did you see uh, there was an, an article today that that a member sent us? And if I can find it, but it's um, ABC News. I think it was an ABC News article. Here it is. It's confirmation that uh, this mental health uh, calls to U.S. helplines jump eight hundred and ninety-one percent as we are being warned of a mental health crisis and some officials are fearful that we as a country are not prepared to meet the the nation's needs. So we're looking at all of these different hotlines. Yeah. People suffering from emotional distress, particularly nine times more calls than it did at this time last year. You finding that to be? Absolutely. That That's... Um it's sobering and at the same time, it's really, in a way, I find encouragement and hope that folks are reaching out. Because mm-hmm. um, so many times it is, we we carry those things in isolation, we carry them alone. So some of the um, first two weeks of Mercy Street, kind of like Chapelwood, we just, we stopped everything, we checked on people. We yeah. stopped programs and just kind of grieved. Here We're here, we wish it wasn't this way. But then we slowly began to turn things back on. And a lot of those were around how do we help folks connect and have a space where they can laugh. So I hosted about 30 dance parties, which seems like the dumbest thing in the world. But um, when I talked to our mental health providers, they said, if you can keep people laughing and they have movement in their day, that's a that's a great thing. So it was interesting. It was a lot of fun. I did come watch for a little while. I think you were on the very first one. I did. So I came to watch it peek in, in but I'll, I'll have to admit, I was just so self-conscious about. Well, you weren't the only one. It was, <laughs> it was like junior high all over again. Like there were literally people who would just sit on their zoom and like, you know, watch it like this. But this but, has been a, you see celebrities doing this. I mean, everybody's, oh yeah. everybody's so doing this. It, now. Absolutely. You were like on the cutting edge. I've always been cutting edge. <laughs> Never. Um, we have a group on Wednesday mornings at 10 o'clock. It's called the new normal. And so we have two or three prompt questions and we just wanted to provide space that we're not trying to tackle the heavy stuff, but it's just a way to do some of those basics of our mental health. 
which is to say out loud, to come out of isolation of whatever it is you're feeling, to have someone else hear it, validate it, and then begin to think in a way that you can move forward, you can begin to put some tools in place. And so we have, um, we have about 20 folks on the call each week. Half of them are women who live at a um, facility down near Pearland. All of them have just gotten out of prison, some of them within the last 30 days. Really? And so it's this really beautiful conversation that is Mercy Street. And so um, our folks that are occasionally struggling with, I can't go get my hair done or my nails or the dry cleaner, and to have a woman who has just come out of TDCJ say to her, that's tough. For people who don't know, TDCJ uh, Texas, is Texas Department, Department of Criminal, Criminal Justice, Justice. Thanks, yeah. And then f for this woman to say, I, I had, I'm okay with someone giving me my structure. I'm okay not able to leave my room. I'm used to those <laughs> yes. conditions. That, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> this is comfortable to me. And... I'm scared when quarantine ends. I'm scared when I've got to get back out there and look for a job. And yeah, um, it's, you know, so, it's completely different. What Matt I've been talking about is, and I've mentioned in the last couple of weeks, especially with, with our own spiritual health is that, you know, as we develop as, as Christian disciples, we're taught to dig deeper, you know, in our spirit. And so we dig to a point, And if we get to a place where there's something raw or painful or we don't want to face it about ourselves. We have so many distractions, things to stay busy with, work. Yep. We can go shopping. We can go to the movie. We can do whatever we want to do. We don't have to deal with those things. And now the difficulty for someone in that situation is like, crap, I, I don't have anything to, to project now. I, I mean, I have, I'm sitting in this and that, will, that causes the mental anguish that I'm having to deal with this crap that I didn't want to have to deal with. And I, before I could like divert my attention. Sure. And yeah. now you're talking about someone who's like, I'm okay with not having my attention diverted. I've been doing that for a while. <laughs> having to sit in, in my own stuff. I'm, I'm okay with that. Yeah. So I, I, that makes a lot of sense. Everybody is so yeah. The people that I swim in the waters with, it's like they're so ready to turn everything back on yesterday. And yeah, I get the economy. You want the economy to get going, but it makes me wonder about the those of us that haven't done some real healthy work spiritually or mentally, emotionally. Yeah, and it's, you know, I've even had, I've granted myself permission along the way. There have been some weeks where... I felt like I was doing that introspection or working um, the steps or a program or really diligent in my meditation. And there were other days where I needed seven episodes of Parks and Recreation to get through the day. <laughs> and that was, yes, uh, hands up, amen. Um, and, and that's okay. I was pulling up uh, on my phone. I was not texting my bestie. No, we're always texting and pulling up things on our okay. phone on podcast. Uh, there was something someone posted early on of the stages of COVID-19. So the fear zone, the learning zone, and the growth zone. Did you see this? No, no, no. Let, Go me ahead. let me text it to you. Yes, please. <laughs> and, you know, I don't know that it's linear, but the, the transition we're making as a Mercy Street community <clears throat> now is, okay, at least through the end of May, we know we're not going to be together in person. But over the last eight to 10 weeks, we have learned new things about ourselves. We have discovered things we took for granted in our church community, things we took for granted in our day-to-day -day schedules. And so to begin to enter into that phase of learning and growth. And so on Saturday nights right now, uh, during the month of May, we're going to read the book of Colossians, which was written to a community that... Uh, in that particular part of the world, earthquakes were always just a season away. Mm. Um, things were in turmoil. There was a lot of relationships that they were trying to get a hold of. And so these letters that we have from, if Paul wrote it or someone else. It was they, Paul. The, it's, it, thus it is said. <laughs> you have heard it said, but I say to you. Um, like, when we return to the new normal, there's yeah. going to be something that we've learned and a way that we've grown. And so how do we even right now kind of remember those things and grab a hold of them? 
so that we're not just doing this big pendulum swing back to the way things were, which I realized uh, to your point earlier, i a lot of my day-to-day activity was non-essential Yeah, <laughs> as either CDC defines it or as I've discovered. And I think, I think what's going to be a really big shock to people is if we go, if we come out of this as a church and go back to doing things exactly the way we did them before this mm. happened, yeah. then we're, we're doing the wrong thing. We missed a chance. And, yeah. and a lot of people would find comfort in that. A lot of people would say, I just want to get it back to the way it was. The problem with, with this, and fortunately we were starting to have these conversations way before this came around, is that we can't keep doing things the same way. The world has changed. Society has changed. Um, there's a higher, higher secularism. You know, people go to church less frequently than they ever have before. Now, they're still engaged. They are still spiritual. It's easy for me to say. <laughs> but, but they're intersecting spirituality in different ways. And organized religion, but we keep trying to prop up the same ways of doing worship and Sunday school and all these things that we have for the past 80 or 100 years. And this now is causing us to have to think about doing ministry in a completely different way. Hmm. And it's, so it's not about attendance, butts in a seat on Sunday morning or Saturday night. It's about how are you engaging a community? I don't think there's ever going to be a substitute for being together. Absolutely. And I think the church does that better than any institution or organization. Yeah. Uh, well, there's... Um, even when last fall you were uh, preaching on this and just the way that the church is radically shifting, um, that we can no longer be the place that is about content. You know, we have content, we'll provide it to you, and this is a space where you can work on your spiritual development. Um, and and relationships were important. Well, now it's, uh, and I think Paul Nixon was writing about this in his blog today. Yeah, yeah that the church is the context in which this spiritual journey happens because this is the context where I have to choose to practice forgiveness, Mm -hmm. receive it and extend it. I have to choose to tell the truth or not tell the truth. I have to choose to believe that God's grace is for me (laughs) and for someone else. And so because we haven't been able to be together and the context has changed somewhat, um, I, for one, am, have been weary, have been unsure, a little bit fearful, but now I'm excited. Like, I'm excited for what this could potentially mean for us as a church. Yeah, so when you say content, you know, before social media, before the internet, your spiritual content was delivered to you in your church on Sunday morning. Well, now you don't need the church to deliver content. No. There's great preachers online, on TV, you can pick up whatever you want, but you still, like you said, when you, when you look at what is, what is the essence of Christianity is to love as God loves. And how do you do that? Well, you have to, f- to get in touch and figure out how to live with humility and you have to figure out how to, uh, to humble yourself in relationships with other people, how to forgive people. I mean, then when you work the 12 steps, you know, you have to kind of go right you know, in, in one of the steps, you have to like go make amends with the people that you've wronged. Yeah. That's a hard thing to do. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you don't get to skip the steps. And, you know, like I'm just going to do one, four and seven. Um, that's not ideal. It's been done before. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be done again. From the first step to the 12th step. Hey, no, um, oh, go ahead. Well, no, I was, uh, I made a couple of notes you know, even our Saturday night worship and I know for Chapelwood on Sunday mornings, we're just trying to imagine what that space is. Mm-hmm. If it's um, so, we're we're taking the opportunity. We brought in, um, we did a Zoom interview with a poet, a songwriter in New Zealand, who's written an amazing prayer book that we use in all of our small groups. Well. In the past, yes, we could have invited him to come and speak, but it would have been a little awkward. Everybody's sitting in the fellowship hall watching this on camera. Well, now that's just, that's the new norm. Okay. Jimmy Fallon style. Yeah. You know? And, and, and you can so interact with him in real time. 
Exactly. And everyone would go, this is normal. Yeah. 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 So, you know, getting creative with that space and um, having a chance to just see the how big the Mercy Street community is and the Chapelwood community. Um, we have a few folks that are regular volunteers in the prisons and the jails. And I mentioned on our all staff call this morning that that really is a, uh, I think the Houston Chronicle's done a pretty good job of carrying stories about what's going on in the prisons and the jails in Houston I, I, and Texas. I wanted you, that's what I was making sure. I wanted you to talk about this because you, Mercy Street has really grown in its ministry to people who are coming out of prison and who are in prison. Yeah. That's grown a lot in the last few years. Yep. And you were sharing some statistics with me, especially as it relates to coronavirus. Oh, yeah. And yeah. that kind of stuff. I think that's fascinating for people to be aware of that, you know, there, there was a lot, there was some controversial stuff and I get why it's controversial, but this is not just in Houston or not just in Texas. It was all over the United States mm -hmm. about releasing um, inmates for period of time, who you know, certain types of crimes or whatever to release so that they would make space so that they could create some distancing in the prison mm -hmm. because it was so contagious. Mm -hmm. And of course, there's a lot of pushback, you know, politically, it gets into all this argument, but what are we finding that yeah. this thing is hitting the prisons and then the prison guards and the staff in ways that are way more devastating than the general population? Absolutely. The, the percentages of those impacted is, there's no comparison. And, you know, so back in, um, uh, my colleague Steve Kaiser and I had a call with folks down at Harris County Jail on April 1st. And at the time, that was close to when they were going to release of the 8,000 inmates at Harris County. Early on, they said, we're going to release 4,000 of them. Mm -hmm. They scaled that back to 1,000. So we were on a phone call April 1st, and their estimation is that of the 1,000, 30% are homeless. Wow. And so we, they asked Mercy Street, and um, we have access to resources through Chapelwood, you know, of we know of where food distribution is happening. We can help with some hygiene kits. Long story short, they backed down from those kind of mass releases. But, you know, our folks that work in the jails, that work in the, the criminal justice system, this is bringing up, um, we use our jails... Harris County Jail is the number one mental health provider in the state of Texas, period. Above hospitals, above therapists. It, and so we use our jails as mental hospitals, as orphanages, as homeless shelters. And so on one hand, yes, releasing people so that we're not spreading infection makes sense, but we have no system that really catches these individuals. And so, yeah, the um, Texas Department of Criminal Justice put out statistics on May the 2nd. Uh, as of May the 2nd, there were 439 TDCJ employees affected with COVID-19 who had tested positive and 1,229 offenders. But the numbers go on from there that you have almost another 45,000 inmates who have been exposed which is roughly about 40% of the entire prison population. And that's so all of Texas? All of Texas. Okay. Uh, I know the, the state tries to provide health care to those that are incarcerated. Um, but it's not good. But it's woefully lacking. I'll just, I'll leave it at that. But, um, I mean, the that is where I think the hotspot is right now in the state of Texas, um, are in our prisons and our jails. I, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't think it really, I mean, people get really touchy about all this, the, the, the partisan political ideological things, because they're coming at policy, you know, policy positions or political loyalties first without looking at uh, the bigger picture. Mm -hmm. And when you're talking about something like this, it's, it's, it's a really difficult thing to think about. I mean, I would imagine they backed off of the release of these prisoners because of political pressure. Right. Wouldn't you think? I mean, I. 
Yeah, I think uh, political They pressure. certainly didn't do it because they looked at the science more broadly and said, oh, they're not as, as much risk as we thought they were. Because obviously you've got way more than 10% yeah. of the prison of the population in Harris County. If there's 8,000 and you've got 1,200, 1,400 that are, have been, how many more are sick that, that haven't been? I mean, just exactly. like in the city itself. Yeah. Um, and I, so I think in all of this, like personally, we've gone through our struggles and we've heard time and time again, the actions that we're taking, taking are to flatten the curve. I wear a mask, not for me, but for you mm-hmm. or for both. And so moving out of this time, the church has always been the community that is um, the safety net, the shelter, the home for the most vulnerable. And there's some complex issues that have come out of this. Uh, As someone from Louisiana in the months and years right after Katrina, there was a lot of recovery work to be done, but the groups that have stayed engaged around justice and fighting for uh, equality in rebuilding a city, I think we're going to have to be doing the same thing uh, as a nation. And um, that's complex and hard. And there is no better organization than the church to be there to advocate. I think, you know, I don't want to be too overly critical, but I will. I think a lot of these new churches that have started up in the past five, 10, 20 years, you know, they're great shows man, it's like a concert venue, right? I mean, the production value and everything else. But then you want to say, what does it mean to be a church? What does it mean to make disciples? Is it because you have 5,000 people on a Sunday morning in a room or because you're out every day, every day feeding hungry families yeah. or out every, every day, not just once a week or once a month, every day trying to help figure out how to get people uh, rent rent assistance, you know, because when this is what most people don't know about Houston is there's a moratorium on evictions. All right. And when that moratorium ends, there are 70,000 people right now that have eviction notices that are waiting to be served. And that's our like very statistical estimation. And I'm sure it's, yeah. So it's, and, uh, and these, this is a vulnerable population, right? You know, Matt Russell told a story he was delivering some of the meals from the kitchen to some families, uh, some kids for iconoclast that are in spring branch school district, our very own school district. And he's talking to them in the parking lot. And these kids are saying, not only are they fearful about school, they're fearful about getting sick. They're like, I'm afraid I won't have a place to stay. Mm-hmm. You know, they're afraid they're going to get kicked out of their apartment. Yeah. And they don't know where they're going to go or where their parents are going to go. And that's, that's, that's when you start really asking yourself hard question. To me, um, I, try to, I try to really understand all the different arguments of why people, you can't disregard that. There's got to be, and the church can't just be a show. Uh, the body of Christ can't just be a, a venue about our own personal felt needs. If it's not doing something that's helping to make the kingdom of God a reality in the world, then it's really not doing what it's, we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing. Yeah. If you were four foot 11, you, you're sounding like John Wesley right now. <laughs> oh, me? Yeah. Well, there's part there of is it. no personal holiness without social holiness. Yeah. No, I, I, I'd agree. And, and thereby if you look, sounding like Jesus. You, yeah. yeah. And when you look at John Wesley for him, it's like, the whole, he was big on James, faith without works is dead. So for him, education, healthcare, welfare, yep. you know, when he, when he used the term welfare, he meant your health. I mean, if you're not healthy, how can you receive the gospel? If you don't have a roof of, you have a place to stay. That's why he helped start hospitals. He helped start schools. He also brewed beer and made his own wine. Most people don't know that. But <laughs> he did. He re- <laughs> very Wesley. He was against alcohol because if the barley was used to make something other than bread, but I guess if you had any leftover, then yeah, all is well. I yeah. think he was against spirits. <laughs> he didn't ah. like spirits, which I still hold that against him. But <laughs> the beer, I think he brewed his own beer. So I think he was just making use of them. Nothing goes to waste. But, uh, you know, I, I, I think this is a wake-up call for churches. And it makes me also think about all the petty divisions but it won't take long 
before we'll be right back in the middle of it because people can't let that stuff go. Oh it's yeah, just, no, we'll we'll be back to dehumanizing folks and separating their sexuality of something you, other than their very identity of the person made in the image of God. Yeah, I if digress. you can't, if you can't, <laughs> I mean, seriously, if you can't figure out a way to try to live together in our differences through a freaking pandemic. Yeah. All right. Um, this is the thing. This is, what? This is connected to this. You know, we're so. When you think about... Give us some what, Abba Moses. No, 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 no. It's like, uh, uh, now see, now you made me feel bad because I'm... No, I'm being serious. <laughs> you can edit that part out. So think about this. We are shown that the, the key essence of what we are called to be is to love God, love neighbor as, as we love ourselves. And so when you think about the way back to the original image of God in which we were created and enabled is to become really, truly loving. Hmm. Not based on the other person's action. Not based on how they treat you. This is what you, you asked, you said, why is it hard to love other people? Because it costs so damn much to do it. Yeah. It's, it's like beyond the resources that I have. It's hard to love other people. We typically, it's, we primarily are focused on the actions. Hmm. Their actions or, but we never take responsibility for loving others regardless of their actions toward us or regard, regardless of, of their behavior or whatever. See, love is not conditional, period. Period. The end of story. And then you have so many Christians say, yeah, you know, I love them, but yeah, I, I think what we're faced with here is this, this crinon moment, this critical hmm. crises moment where a decision has to be made, right? And I remember, I can't remember what professor was, talked about, um, you know, this, the whole understanding of the Greek, this, this crinon, this crisis um, is like you're having a dinner party at your house and the front porch collapses, you know, you have to make a decision. What are you going to do? There's a critical moment that you're going to have. You, okay, you're going to have to come around in the back door. You're going to have to do something different, right? And for us, I think we just say, okay, you know, everything's ruined, party's over. You know, mm -hmm. we, we just don't think of what we can learn, how we can adapt and how we change. Mm -hmm. And I think if people come out on the other side of this and they're exactly the same as they went in, that just makes me sad for them. Yeah, it's a, it's a missed opportunity. You know how at uh, Facebook, when you first log in for the day, because I log in every single time, so the Russians Are you really? cannot See, I leave mine me. logged in. That's why I get probably got hacked. Ha! <laughs> I'll be sending you those gift cards for eBay pretty soon. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this past... It was a couple of days ago, I logged in and the memory popped up from a year ago, something that I had, um, I was reflecting on 1 Corinthians 13, which is the love chapter. Mm -hmm. And I'll be damned if it wasn't the exact like message that I needed to hear in that moment because I was having a really hard time loving a few folks uh, in my life. Yeah. And so uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 7 Sing along if you know the words. <laughs> Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Mm. It gives the life, it bears the gift of something new. It bends the heart and mind towards possibility, not skepticism. And that's something I've really struggled with in these days. Wow. Love pulls us towards a hopeful future. Love makes it possible to stay in the argument to show back up and endure pain. Love bounces back, doesn't throw in the towel, and exists when the impossible doesn't seem possible. And so what, like whatever the category is of how people have wrestled or struggled with this time. We have no concept a, of love. Yeah, like love, love is a beautiful place to end up. That's, that is the thing I think that draws us forward, pushes us, extends the horizon beyond our fear or skepticism. So there are 
gosh, we just went right into love and how we just don't have a grasp of it, which, which I think is true on both sides of the ideological spectrum. Oh, yeah. I see it. I see it on both sides. Uh, and it's, I, we always want to demonize the other side. Both sides. We're all guilty of this. I think this is our fundamental flaws. Christians in the modern age is we have turned love into a conditional. It's conditional. Mm. You can be a part of our community if we agree. If you interpret this passage of scripture the, the same way I do. That's never the way the Judeo historical uh, living of faith worked. Yeah. That's a modern way of living out yeah. religious faith. And one of the things that I love, when you go back, I, I do love the Desert Fathers. They were the old Abbas and Amas, so mostly good. men, but they were women. And in the, in the really the, from the second century all the way to about the fourth or fifth century, when Christianity became the official religion of the empire, you know, these, these folk were really smart because they looked at this and said, this is not going to turn out well. All right. What Christianity is all about becoming now the official religion of the state and having the power and the corruption and, and the, you know, that they just like, this is not going to end well. It's like Steve Martin at the end of the jerk. I'm going to take this lamp and just and this, I'm and that's this, all I need. And this is all I need. I'm going to the desert. And this chair. <laughs> and so they left and went off. You know, I don't think that I don't think they're necessarily to be emulated in all ways by what they did. But what they learned, the, the, the reason they did it is because they didn't want anything to get in the way of them learning how to love God completely. They believed simply that the purpose of the Christian life was love. The central purpose was love and the way to it was through humility. Mm. And so they denied themselves. They became ascetics. Mm -hmm. But I, there were two stories that stood out to me. One was uh, about Abba Moses and he was invited because one of the brothers in, in Skedis had committed a fault. And so a council was called together and they called Abba Moses, but he refused to go. And then the priest sent someone to say to him, Come, everyone's waiting for you, Abba Moses. So he got up and he went. But he took a leaking jug and he filled it with water and he carried it with him. And others came out to meet him. I've heard it with, with sand. Sand, but, yeah. Um, <clears throat> with, came with um, water. Others came out to meet him and said to him, what is this, Father? And the old Abba Moses said, my sins run out, run out behind me, but I do not see them. And today I am coming to judge the heirs of another. And when they heard that, they said no more to the brother, but forgave him. The one that really uh, will challenge our sensibilities way more than that is the story of Abba Amonas. Have you heard this one? I don't know. So Abba Amonas was one of the saints, came one day to eat in a place where there was a monk of evil repute. Now it happened that a woman came and entered the cell of the brother of evil reputation. And the dwellers of that place, having learned this, were troubled and gathered together to chase the brother from his cell. Knowing that Bishop Amonus was in that place, they asked him to join them. When the brother in question learned this, he hid the woman in a large cask the crowd of monks came to the place. Now, Abba Amonis saw this position clearly, but for the sake of God, he kept the secret. He entered, seated himself on the cask. And when they had searched everywhere without finding the woman, Abba Amonis said, what is this? May God forgive you for this accusation of this brother. And after praying, he made everyone go out. And then taking the brother by the hand, he said, brother, be on your guard. And with these words, he withdrew. And what they said, what, when I, I love what Roberta Bondi said, is that they believed that one must not only refuse to judge another person, one must also protect the sinner from the consequences of their sin. Mm. And this is because there is a real expectation that such a radical act of love will have a transforming effect on the heart of the sinner. Hmm. Now, you won't find anybody who subscribes to that in the days that we live in. I mean, some do. 
in real radical, that's radical love. That's love with no expectation. I mean, can you imagine you love someone so much that you spare them the consequences of their action? I'm not for that. I like people to get what's coming to them. Yeah, yeah. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. <laughs> I mean, just ask me the way I'd work it up. Yeah, go ahead and turn the other cheek because I'm coming in. Yeah, that's a radical. Uh, that's a radical part of love that I don't. I don't know that I'm there yet. Tell me how we can be praying for the Mercy Street community. How people can be praying for the Mercy Street community. I think it'd also be helpful to point people to the the website and maybe things that are going on that are. Just, yeah. just an invitation to people to be to stay connected to what you're doing. Absolutely. We're trying to keep our homepage uh, of the website up to date. So mercystreet.org. And that has links to all of the Zoom meetings that are happening. We've got something, at least a check-in almost every single day. And um, any of the 12-step meetings that are listed there, those are open for anyone to attend. I have found that for a number of folks, they had been leaning towards um, wanting to go to recovery, at least explore the group, and it was intimidating mm -hmm. to show up in a room. And so the Zoom format has been a great way that you can kind of lean in and participate in the conversation and just get a feel for what goes on in AA or NA or Al-Anon, whatever it may be. So mercystreet.org is a great place to go. Um, you know, I, one of the things I've been at Chapelwood now, almost 12 years, a little over 12 years. And one of the things that I really appreciate about this community is we talk a lot about embodying grace mm -hmm. and, um, our church, our community has just been a lifeline for so many, for me and others. And I don't say that as a, a pastor here or an employee here, but this has been the space that has really been a safe harbor. And um, it's, I'm, I'm grateful, I'm proud to be a part of a church like this. And uh, I've also experienced, you know, we're, we're making mistakes along the way and Good. we're having to, to figure it out. And uh, yeah. There's only two ways you learn things. True. You either imitate somebody or trial and error, you know? Yeah. But I, I think it's important. People should know that the Chapelwood and Mercy Street relationship is not a one-way relationship. Never has been. I've oh, never seen it as yeah. that. Yeah. You know, even in these recent days, you know, we've been, as, we were, as we're working together, there's some things that you have been doing in the Mercy Street community that we've actually pulled into and using uh, more broadly yeah, and vice across, versa. Mm -hmm. yeah, more broadly across whether it was, it was at the house, the house blessing, mm -hmm. the, the worship space and the house blessing that came that we pushed that out. That came from, from y'all yeah. and what you were doing. And it was such, it was so like, this makes so much sense. Why didn't we think of this earlier? But it's like, okay, now your home is your school and it's your church and it's your work yeah. and it's your home. Yeah. And it's like everything. And so to have some spiritual blessing and prayer uh, that, that the family can participate in, yeah, I thought was pretty cool. It was, uh, it was neat. Two things about that. Um, one, I, um, I'm single. I live in my, on my own. So I texted my siblings and family and said, hey, anybody want to, and we're spread out uh, across Michigan, Tennessee, Texas. And so to have my little niece and nephew reading the prayer for a blessing over the kitchen or the living room or the bedroom, um, that was really special. Um, but uh, Amanda, who is on our Mercy Street staff, um, she's married. She and her husband live and do ministry in the third ward of Houston. She's a therapist and she has four kids. So she's homeschooling wow. for uh, 17 all the way down to eight or nine. Ugh here's the beautiful thing about the house blessing is she's really like, I really want to be a help and a support during this time, but like my hands are full. And so literally she wrote that. I don't know she want me. She wrote that while she was on hold with the doctor's office because her middle daughter had strep. <laughs> so she's got that thing on speaker and it was the most beautiful 
Like she's living and breathing this, my home has to be a sanctuary right now because awesome. it's chaos. You know, I heard it was, uh, have you seen that, that meme where the, the kid looks at her mom and says, mom, am I adopted? She said, no, honey, not yet. I just put the ad in the paper yesterday. <laughs> this is like COVID, COVID memes. And then what was, the, there was another one I thought that was actually pretty. Uh, oh, there's been some classics. Oh, they're, like they're I'm all, transferring this student out of my class immediately or. Oh, if you, and like, the, like I said a week ago, it's like, woman said, if you see me talking to myself, it's I'm having a parent teacher conference. That's right. And this one says, people are shocked that Texas wants to open back up. Let me explain it to you. Five years ago, Bluebell literally killed us with contaminated ice cream. And all we cared about is when can we get that next half gallon? <laughs> this is just what we do. It's what we do in Texas. Can you, rem you remember? I forgot about do you remember the Blue, the Blue Bell? Bell? Yes. And it was like, they had like some bacterial, something that would kill you or whatever. And all people were just, and as soon as they found out, Blue Bell is stopping production of all ice cream. People ran on the grocery store to buy ice cream that will literally kill you. And they're like grocery stores throwing it out. People, oh, no, 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 no. Give me the vanilla. No, give me, just get, I'll take my chances, pro. That's right. Just I'll give me the, the vanilla. <laughs> it's like, oh, a little stomach bug. I'm good. You telling me no bluebell for how long? People are the worst. I'm, well, that's why I'm telling you it's hard to love people. Hey, what's your, what, what, what are you doing? What, what are you just doing? Like, what are, what are you doing to stay sane just for fun during, I mean, quarantine looks like maybe we're coming out of quarantine slowly. Things are beginning to open back up this week in yeah, Texas more and more, but what have you been uh, doing? Yeah. Exercising, personally? taking walks. Um, two years ago, I put up a punching bag in my garage and it collected dust. But during quarantine, that bad boy has been getting a, a good workout. So that helps just energy. Um, Gosh, I'm I cooking you. a lot. You're exercising. I hate people. I mean, I'm walking. Yeah. Still, I don't even do that. Trust me. The alternative is not good. Cooking. You said you're cooking? I'm cooking. We're mm -hmm. doing that. Um, a lot of Netflix. Mm -hmm. I'd never seen Parks and Recreation. Are you serious? Well, I'm now done. <laughs> Committed myself. Yeah. And you've seen I'm Office. I'm not a quitter. I love the Office. I know. Okay. I, I couldn't believe it. Um, What's your podcast? Mer Mercy Street has a podcast. It's called In All. It's stories of our members and also stories from scripture. We actually have our final episode of season one coming out this Friday. Robert W. will be telling his story. You can find it on Podbean, iTunes, any of the places you get your podcasts. So we've got, I think, about 20 episodes out there, and this is our last one for season one. Wow. They have seasons. That's nice. Doesn't it sound, it sounds like we know what we're, we're we doing. In, we're still in season We started one. April a year ago. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, I'm John Stevens. I'm Melissa Mayer. And this is Pod Have Mercy. Booyah. <laughs>